Hello and welcome to uh, another episode of Aerospace and NOTAM, the tie-in of podcast for the Royal Aeronautical Society's Aerospace and Magazine. I'm uh, Editor-in-Chief uh, Tim Robinson and with me is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater. Welcome Steve. Hi Tim. So uh, welcome to another episode of Aerospace NOTAM, uh, where we look at the global aviation, aerospace and space news uh, and what we've got coming up in the next issue of Aerospace, which is June 2023. Doesn't time fly? Doesn't it? Halfway through the year already. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So in the magazine, we cover everything from GA to space flight, from airliners to airports, from air law to human factors. And uh just trying to trying to give you a digest of uh, things to look out for in uh, in this uh, amazing global industry that we uh, we cover. Um, so, Steve, where where have you been out and about recently? What, where have you what have you been up to? Oh gosh, right. Let me think. It's been a busy month, hasn't it? We've had our um, our conference in house over the last couple of days, but earlier in the month, I was out in Dublin. Went out to, to the Revolution Aero conference in Dublin. Um, which was all about eVTOL, urban air mobility, future air transport, regional air transport, um, you know, new power sources, things like that. And, you know, I've done many of these things over the years. And this was probably the most realistic one that I've been to. I think people have been, yeah, we, we've had probably a decade now of people, you know, promising to deliver things in six months time, which we know are, are going to be years away if, if if never delivered at all. But having sat down, I mean, all of the big players were there, you know, Joby, Beta, Vertical, all the big eVTOL companies. And they were quite candid and, and quite realistic over the fact that, you know, this is not going to be happening quickly. And, you know, and, and looking at some of the stumbling blocks and, and issues that we've got. I mean, eVTOL is definitely coming. Um, but, you know, all these promises of it, it being six months away, I think now, those uh, those promises have now turned into a little bit of a reality check. Do you think that the that we're we're heading for a a VLJ style crash? Is is it bubble or have we gone too far down the road now for that? I think it's a bit far, far down the road. You you are right, and you know we have the VLJ, the very light jet bubble was what twenty years ago now, wasn't it? Everyone was going to have a sub million dollar business jet, single pilot. And we had all of these people designing aircraft seemingly in their back bedrooms, you know, with, with very little experience of aer aerodynamics or anything relevant. And there were very few when you shook the tree at the end of the day, there weren't many that came out the bottom. You know, what we've got the Embraer Phenom, Cessna yeah. Citation, Mustang, Eclipse 500. So mostly the big, you know, well-established companies. Um, and I think we're getting to that point now with the uh, the VTOL market. Um, I think there's a lot of investment, but it's also it's a much wider market than the VLJ. You know, this market is trying to achieve a lot more and there's a lot more scope for um, for different coverage. So, you know, your VLJ, you know, apart from, you know, flying rich people from point A to point B, it's got a little bit of an overlap into air ambulance work. Yeah. The EV tolls cover everything, you know, from point to point. Yeah, it's a last mile delivery you know, right the way through to, to regional air mobility. You know, one of the, um, the the people I was talking to at the conference said, you know, urban air, urban air mobility is going to be big, but regional air mobility is going to be even bigger. And I think, you know, we'll look at um, sort of the the short range commuter aircraft. So, you know, the sort of the Birmingham to Edinburgh or, you know, uh, yeah, London to Newquay type things working into more sustainable fuels. And I think that's going to be 
a big market moving forward. That was something that was, was highlighted during the conference. Uh, but just really, really interesting stuff. And lots of questions asked about, you know, we've got a, a worldwide pilot shortage at the moment. Well, if we're looking at having thousands or tens of thousands of new eVTOLs buzzing around, who's going to fly them? You know, where are we mm. going to get the pilots from? And crucially, who's going to maintain them? You know, this yes. is a whole new skill set. I was talking to the guys from CAE who are, are already looking at some of these training courses. And um, from a from an engineering point of view, if you think about the whole gamut of, of eVTOLs that we've seen proposed, some have got tilt wings, some are quadro, yeah, quadcopters. Yeah, the, there's all sorts of lift technology on it. Well, if you qualify to work on one and, and either fly one or maintain one, does that mean you're qualified to work on all of them? I would proffer probably not. So I think there's there's a number of, of hurdles ahead. Um, however, you know, we're looking at getting the first aircraft into commercial service in 2024. And that will be out at Paris for the Paris Olympics. I think it's, you know, it, it, for the best will in the world, it's going to be a bit of a token gesture, but it's going to be a great bit of publicity and um, sort of... Uh, and eyes on the market for, for people who are not really aware that this technology is is just over the horizon. Uh, but, yeah, really interesting conference. And uh, and of course, it was Dublin. So it was a great place to be. Fantastic. All right. OK, so I've been. And what out... about you? Where have you? Where... Oh, yes. <laughs> Where have I been? Um, I've, I've been out to. Uh, so I, I popped down to uh, Toulouse uh, recently and I went out and had an exclusive invite to Airbus's new safety promotion centre, which was uh, which was opened only opened earlier this year. Uh, special sneak preview for journalists. And this is a this is patterned after a Japan Airlines uh, safety centre. And, and really, it's it's about educating their staff. Uh, and their workers and and just sort of telling them about um just reminding them about uh, the high level um you know a reminder for to be thought-provoking and reflective of of this is why we do the things we do uh this is the, these are the advances in, in 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 flight safety since the dawn of the jet age and uh here's what happens when we make mistakes uh and you know if if you make mistakes people die um, which yeah. seems, you know, I mean, you know, it sort of seems, it seems obvious to sort of say that, but um, the the issue is, is that uh, aircraft have now become more and more safe, more and more, you know, and even with even with the blips uh, like the, the the Max and 911, is the accident rate is still staying uh, steady, um, even as air traffic is going, um, uh, you know, up. Um, there is all sorts of sort of you know kind of uh, sort of stresses there. There's been some sort of near misses in the U.S. recently with runway incursions, but um, it's still unbelievably safe given um, how it used to be. Uh, so there is the the the, the idea there that, that there is you know you've got to really guard against complacency and, and sort of strive to be you know zero accidents. Now zero accidents is never going to happen. But that's what you've got, to, you've got to be aiming for. So that was really, really sort of fascinating uh, centre that they that they've opened there. Uh, you know, they're doing kind of four guiding tours tours a day. There's a VR bit. Uh, there's a sort of uh, interactive displays and whatnot um, to educate their workers. And uh, I was going through that, going through there, and thinking, actually, you know, there'd be other people who'd be benefit from this education, in, in kind of you know. Um, Maybe some of the uh, maybe some of uh, 
politicians or mainstream media or influencers or you know pe- people who jump to conclusions uh you know sort of straight away or, or or get the wrong idea and say look you know this is this is why we do the things we do and your your flight not taking off or diverting or having a go around um it's not because the airline industry has personally singled you out um to no. delay you um uh, there's good reasons for it you know yes yeah, uh, so- and you know that the, the safety thing again links back to that revolution aero conference in dublin yes. you asked me a couple of minutes ago were we heading to a vlj type um collapse and yeah it was a question that was asked and said yeah the, one of the biggest threats to this industry at the moment is a high profile accident because w- w- you're working in that urban environment you know and so the, it's a very visual thing and um, you know it, it was it pressed home you know, that safety is absolutely vital in in these craft because yeah, there's going to be a high density of them flying around over congested areas. So uh, the potential for accidents is something that we really need to focus on all both in terms of maintenance safety, but also you know, airspace segregation and things like that. So, yeah, that is a big worry across all the sectors. Exactly. So um, moving on to where we've been, um, what about uh We've had a busy, gosh, we've had a very busy month for for, for aviation, <laughs> uh, aviation, aerospace news. Um, that's that's saying something. What has caught your your uh, your eye in the news? Well, as as usual, you know, I, I, and I say this in every podcast we do. There's so much to choose from. Um, you know, with the, the beauty of aerospace is we cover everything from GA to space via commercial aircraft and military and and RPAS, you name it. But it was a glider that caught my attention in the news this time, and it's Airbus with their Perlin 2, um, which is what they refer to as their stratospheric glider. Now, I saw this aircraft last year out at Oshkosh. Um, ah. They were they actually flew it during the show. They towed it up behind an aircraft called a Grob Egret, which, if you remember, is like a turboprop. Almost looks like a very big motor glider, very thin, high aspect ratio wings. They used that as a glider tug and flew the Perlin during the uh, one of the daily shows at Oshkosh. Um, but they're looking now at taking this out to Argentina um, to uh, to surf stratospheric mountain waves and try to reach 90,000 feet. That's and gorgeous. I mean, they, they, yeah, yeah, they've got the they've got the world record at the moment. It's 76,000 feet, but they're trying to push that now 90,000 feet in a glider. I mean, that's just <laughs> yeah, I like to say bonkers. So that's that's the first thing that so that grabbed my attention. What about you? Um, well, we've we've had obviously uh, so. Ukraine has been in the news this month. It's in the news every month, but um, particularly this uh, this past sort of month in terms of um, air power um, implications, news, um, storm shadows. So the UK has supplied storm shadows uh, to Ukraine. Uh, that's a long range uh, cruise missile uh, to attack you know russian targets um that is a is a is a game changer and it appears as if it's going to be it's it's either integrated already or it's going to be integrated on uh, uh su24 fences now who had that Ooh. on the the 2024 2023 bingo card um anglo french yeah. cruise missile on a soviet strike aircraft soviet soviet era <laughs> strike aircraft um kremlin was attacked by drones mystery drones uh, mm. So there's video there of, a, of, a, of some kind of, of uh, low cost drone, whether it was launched inside Russia by dissidents or whether it's some kind of false flag attack. No one really knows. 
Um, hypersonics. We've had we've had uh, Russia tried, trying to uh, Patriot has been in in, in action in in Ukraine mm-hmm. defending Kiev, and it's intercepted the uh, um, you know the Kinzel, the much uh, vaunted uh, you know unstoppable Kinzel uh, hypersonic yeah. missiles from Russia. Now th- these are air dropped from uh, MiG-31 Foxhounds, so they're they're really sort of an air launched ballistic missiles. So they don't maneuver. So if mm-hmm. you if you're at the other end of wh- where they're coming in, um, you can you can intercept them. But it sounds like it sounds very much like um, the Russians went all out to try and destroy this Patriot battery with with uh, you know hypersonic missiles, cruise missiles, and kamikaze drones all in one go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the latest thing, I mean, this has just happened, um, you know, the, the past week uh, when we've been we've we've both been covering the. Uh, our global combat air and space summit is uh, there's been movement on supplying F-16s to uh, F-16s yeah. and even, even Gripen training, uh, mm-hmm. d- doing Gripen training for Ukrainian pilots. So all of a sudden, the, the U.S. has now they've been very very nervous uh, about uh, you know supplying fighters and uh, other countries have said well we'll 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 we want to do it. The U.S. has said no. Um, and now the U.S. has reversed and said, "Yep, if you guys want to do the train uh, fighter training, we're not going to stop you." So that yeah. seems to have blocked things. And it's, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's that this is good, uh, you know, get, good that we're getting the, the the weapons into the hands of Ukrainians. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's uh, another sort of like incremental uh, incremental escalation, if you like, that uh, you know you perhaps wouldn't wouldn't have wouldn't have thought about 12 months earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cruise missiles, high Mars, uh, and now fighter jets. Now F-16s, yeah, amazing. What else? The other thing that, well, the other thing that grabbed my attention again was going back to the UAV market. Um, and if you, uh, if you're a Formula One follower, you might be familiar with the name Mike Gascoigne. He uh, reformed the Lotus team back in 2009, and now he's launched a cargo UAV company um, with a, a product called Mosquito. And um, yeah, we, we, I think we spoke. It was either our last podcast or the one before about the um, light aviation Skybus and the Skytruck. Remember this tilt wing oh, yeah. um, thing? It's a similar concept to that. You know, it's, it's, this is a, a um, you know a, a flying delivery vehicle, cargo UAV carrying up to 500 kilos. Um, so they've got two variants. They've got a tilt rotor variant, um, which has got two rotors on each corner. Uh, and then they've also got a feature which has got eight ro- uh, uh, the second one, which has got eight rotors and a direct drive motors distributed across four wings. So really interesting look at, you know, as I said about the Revolution Aero Conference, this regional market and pushing things beyond that last mile of delivery is perhaps something that we're we're starting to see more and more of now. So it'd be interesting to follow that as a as a British endeavor. Yeah. And the, yeah. the mosquito mosquito cargo UAV. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So also in the past month, um, we well we we've not mentioned um, the fact that um, there was a big explosion off the coast of Texas, wasn't there? When when Starship uh, disassembled, didn't it? Just I I seem to remember that was the day we recorded the last podcast. Yes. So the news was just breaking at the time, <laughs> wasn't it? That uh, there was a rapid unscheduled disassembly, wasn't there? Yeah, so there's uh, there's been I mean there's been a bit, bit more uh, details since since then. Uh, you know, it went out of control. I think four minutes into the flight, um, yeah. 
and uh, began tumbling out of control. I mean, there's, there's some incredible video out of there. But what what, what was more incredible was, was how how it basically destroyed the the launch pad. Um, so SpaceX is something you know there was concrete under the pad. Apparently Elon had said that uh, you know he Elon said on Twitter, well we we thought we we, we might put a steel a water cooled steel plate into there, but um, we decided to risk it or some, something along the, on the, along those lines. And mm. it turned out it it, it it you know all these engines, 33 Raptor engines, had, had created a massive crater uh, mm-hmm. and distributed dust all over over the the, the coast. Um, so now they've obviously got to rethink this. Uh, there's a halt on flights, obviously. I mean that that's a, that's sort yeah. of standard any any that's not a, any sort of sort of um, uh, you know kind of uh, flight after flight test like that. Uh, but they reckon they can they can they can get it repair the pad and get it going again in three months. And this time they are going to use the water cool cool steel plates and the rocket. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean it, uh, amazing mm-hmm. amazing sight to see. Um, everybody watching to see what would happen. Um, yeah. But interestingly, with that's. So obviously, Starship is one of the um, one of the uh, lunar uh, part of the lunar architecture for Artemis. It's part of one of those sort of mm-hmm. lunar modules. I mean, it's such a giant, uh, you know, giant rocket. But the other one mm-hmm. was was awarded recently. It's going to be Blue Origin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, um... so you can Amazon is, is Amazon deliveries on the moon. <laughs> well you know just going back to spacex of course we had our our annual banquets uh we a did. weeks ago and gwyn shotwell was our guest of honor um and for somebody who didn't speak from notes she certainly went off script i can tell you that it was uh, very interesting listening to her talk about the future of spacex and the the, the plans that they have and obviously we, we talked about going to the moon spacex have been very open about going to mars and uh, Gwyn Shotwell said, well, yeah, we're going to go to Mars. But to be honest, said, Mars is a bit of a fixer up planet. We could do we're going somewhere a bit better. If you go to Mars, it'd be like extreme camping is how she described it. And right. um, so she said, what we need to do is look at further galaxies, further solar systems, which will have inhabitable um, environments to for us to, to go to. But just, of course, those are light years away. So uh, what we're looking at now at SpaceX is sort of wormholes and uh, yeah, bending time so that we and it's like and there was a, a general snigger that went around the room and she went, you're laughing at me now. She's, but you were laughing at us when we said we'd, we'd return rocket boosters to barges on, on the ocean. And we do that with a, a dramatic <laughs> pause, followed by most of the time. So, um, yeah, really interesting to hear Gwyn speak. Um, but so, yeah. So, uh, so watch this space for um, going further than Mars. Brilliant. OK, well, we've got uh, we, we've got we're. Now, uh, also uh, looking ahead to the upcoming June 2023 edition of Aerospace, uh, that will be coming out on the round right about the first of every uh, next month. Uh, what have we got in, in the uh, this upcoming issue? It's a packed issue, isn't it? It's as packed as always. I mean, the biggest problem we always have is finding enough pages to fit the material in that we've got. But um, the, the, this has been a, a, a particularly big issue for me. So I, I wrote um, an article on the, the future of, of jet engines, um, which has taken a lot of research. I've spoken to guys at Rolls-Royce and at GE Aerospace and Pratt & Whitney in the US. And we've there's been lots of talk about hydrogen, about electric, hybrid electric, SAF, you know, sustainable aviation fuel. But, you know, these are all quite away in the distance. You know, even SAF, I mean, 
you know, the, the production around the world of, of sustainable aviation fuel in 2022 was just 0.1% of our global use of kerosene. So what we looked at with this feature is what can we do to existing engines to improve efficiency? Because, you know, every, every little helps, you know, so, you know, a percentage here and 3% there in the grand scheme of the amount of fuel that we're burning is actually a, a massive reduction in, in carbon levels. Um, so I've, um, I've pulled a piece together which neatly coincided with Rolls-Royce testing their Ultrafan engine. Yeah, um, so which which um, we, which happened just a couple of weeks before this article was written. So it was, for once, to Tim, it was perfect timing. We managed to get the timing right on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the, the ultra fan that was uh, that was well tested right, really round the door from you, wasn't it? And, and almost next door. Um, it is about, the big, about as, as the crow flies, about five miles from here. But, um, the the, yeah, the biggest, uh, I mean, it's the biggest uh, sort of engine uh, architecture change for for Rolls Royce in more than than half a century, isn't it? You know, um, since RB211. Yeah, uh, I, I um, spoke to Simon Burr, who's their uh, the head of the program, and. Uh, yeah, he he said, you know, this is you know the the biggest paradigm change in 50 years. You know, it's biggest technological leap since RB211. And of course, Ultrafan isn't going to be sold. This is a technology techno- yeah. technology demonstrator. But already, a lot of the 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 uh, things that are being developed for this are filtering down into Trent and some of the other commercially available engines. So, you know, it's um, really big news. And again, big news for for British industry. Yeah, and I think that moves moves us nicely on into another article we've got uh, in this issue, which is obviously on on uh, SAF and looking at some of the challenges of SAF, and really ha- there's a reality check uh, there with uh, sustainable aviation alternative fuels, um, and, and kind of you know there's some hefty challenges there in terms of cost and uh, also uh, you know wh- where do you get the feedstock from? Uh, yeah. You know, is it is it green hydrogen? Uh, is it is it fully? Uh, you know, your your e-fuels are they fully uh, fully kind of um, uh, sustainable or not? Um, and I think what's what's interesting there is that uh, this comes out of a come out of Royal Society research uh, report from uh, from last year into alternative fuels, but it now seems to be echoed by um, Boeing the Boeing CEO uh, David Calhoun, who said that. Uh, biofuels will never achieve the price of jet fuel um yeah. be prepared for you know it, it, it yeah, we're, we're going to get we're never going to get that sort of scale you know uh, <laughs> no there's no cheap ways to do this uh, there's also been i think pushback from uh qatar airways chief as well on on hydrogen um yeah. and, and and he's come out as sort of uh, said obviously uh akbar al baker is is quite uh uh, forthright in his views, let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's never wanted to sort of shy from uh, you know kind of breaking ranks, and he sort of said that the the aviation industry's target of achieving net zero emissions by 2050 um, is uh, is not realistic. Yeah. Um, which is a real blow. But on the other hand, um, it, it it kind of leads back to your article on on uh, you know jet engines is you you've still got to keep keep making these things as efficient as uh, as possible because they're going to be still be going around for a while exactly um, you know you're looking at reducing the gaps between blades and and um, and cowlings or even washing and washing the blades yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of the amount of flies and detritus that a blade will pick up in flights you, you, you know we've all seen leading edges of airplanes that are covered with dead flies after you've landed well 
think about the the effect that has on the turbine blade and how that will make it aerodynamically inefficient. So, yeah, G, I mean, Rolls-Royce and GE are both doing this now, and, and GE have actually got a special solution now that they are promoting to their customers. So you don't just wash it with water, you wash it with this special chemical solution, um, which really improves the efficiency of those blades. But you were talking about feedstocks and things for SAF. Um, you know, I'm married to a farmer's daughter, Tim, as you know, and we, you know, whenever we're driving anyway, you see fields that are covered in solar panels at the moment, creating electricity. Well, you know, there are food shortages and we're importing food into this country. Well, you know, how many more fields are we going to need to uh, to put aside to to grow material for feedstock for SAF? So there's that again links into um, the Royal Society article. Definitely. And we've also got an article there. I mean, coming up in, in June is uh, the Aircraft Interiors Expo, haven't we? So uh, Cabin, that's uh, that was previously your uh, your, your bag. Uh, cabin, it was. Cabin I was briefed Briefly in a cabin Briefly. magazine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, John Walton um, has, has written the, the it's, it's AIX, which is Aircraft Interiors Expo. It's in Hamburg every June. So that's coming up, up in the next couple of weeks. And John's looked at uh, some of the um, the products that are going to be launched there, some of the issues that are going to be discussed. And the one that really sticks out with me and it's something that's been on the cards for a while is what Air New Zealand call their Sky Nest, um, which is um a series of bunk beds in the central cabin uh, that you can reserve on four hour slots. So, you know, if, if you if you can't afford your upgrade to business or first, well, you know, for four hundred dollars, you can get four hours kip in a bunk bed. Right, uh, so okay. it'll be interesting to see what demand there is for that. Cause, um, I think that it's still quite a high price, I think, for four hours kip. But then again, four hours is better than nothing. So if you if you've got a, you know, a long at the end of your long haul flight or you've got to go straight into work or something like that maybe those four hours make the difference and it's worth the expenditure um but as john was saying a lot of the development is in single aisle long haul cabins at the moment and again that goes back links in nicely with the engine article because that single engine long haul market is where the bulk of the carbon emissions are coming from so there's a, a huge amount of research at the moment into that type of aircraft whether it's you know, the interiors whether it's the engines whether it's just general aerodynamics i think that's that's a, a big big growth area for our sector at the moment yeah i wonder what, i wonder if with with the 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 sky nest thing you get a you, you'll get a refund if you've got people there who snore who knows uh, um <laughs> uh moving on we've got we've got a report from dsi japan so uh, that was a, a big defense show and uh, we've also got an exclusive uh, survey uh from there from our the, the our, our readers and in conjunction with proto labs so proto labs are digital manufacturing specialists uh really interesting company working on the latest in digital manufacturing and and they did a they did a, a, a survey looking at uh, you know what are the what are the hot topics in the aerospace industry what are we all concerned about uh, in terms of the the manufacturing the production side of things uh, so some really interesting um, findings from that and and you know top of the top of the list there you might might well uh, well sort of sort of guess but recruiting more skilled personnel yeah and uh, sustainability you know uh, supply chain shortages uh but you know the number one there is 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 this 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 wall this battle for talent everyone is after talent um you know engineers uh, specialists software specialists whatever um you know the skills crisis um Ooh. and, and I mean, the, 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 
that translates again across all the sectors again because it's something we were hearing this week at the future combat summit wasn't it it's, yeah um, it's no matter which sector of of engineering or or aerospace there's this this um this skills gap well, it's something that we found out from uh, last year at the uh, the Paris Air Show, where uh, there was a briefing from McKinsey that said that every for every traditional engineer in the, the global aerospace and defence industry is trying to recruit, um, they're also trying to tr- recruit two software engineers. So yeah. it's it's those it's those software digital natives, IT specialists uh, that are are really kind of in, in 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 shortage. But I mean, what also struck me there is to um, you know that the 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 spread of digitization uh, in the 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 sort of industry and and mm-hmm. uh, you know we're sort of like seeing how maybe that will sort of spread across you know uh, ramping up to 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 meet these sort of uh, these these uh, sort of increasing ramp up production tar- targets that that uh, you know at least civil aviation is looking for. Yeah. And the other feature we've got, um, which really grabbed my interest this time, was the article from Iran, from Babak. Yes. Yeah. Um, Babak Tagaveh, who's, uh, who's written for me in the past at various magazines, and he never ceases to amaze me with the, the material which he brings out of Iran. And this one was on the um, the Iranian airline Mahan Air, um, which have been circumventing sanctions, shall we say. Um, as, as I'm sure we all know, you know, Iran's been subject to sanctions since 2011. Um, but during that time, Mahan Air hasn't just managed to keep on operating. It's 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 got a fleet of Airbus A340s. It's managed to grow the fleet. Yeah, so yes. Babat looked at how they've managed to do this by by various means, and uh, you know th- a lot of this has been through setting up um, faux companies, if you like, in places like Iraq or the Middle East, and uh, acquiring them through there, and then diverting the airframes into Tehran. But the the one that really struck me happened um, late last year, and it was I'm just trying to find the uh, the exact details of it now. Here we are. It said they they purchased some uh, they set up a, a, um, a sham company in Turkey, and they acquired some A340s. Um, these were then flown to um, um, uh, to, to Johannesburg, where they were registered in Hong Kong, and then re-registered to Burkina Faso. And then they were ferrying these aircraft to Uzbekistan and halfway between the ferry flight from Uzbek- from Johannesburg to Uzbekistan, all three of them declared an emergency and diverted into Tehran and have since appeared on the Iranian register. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure they were all genuine emergencies that just happened to happen at exactly the same time. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how much uh, how much assistance. Uh, so obviously from the defense side of things, we know that. Uh, Russia has been uh, leaning on Iran heavily for the the, the loitering drones uh, that they've been using. I wonder how much how much assistance uh, the Russians will be getting or, or asking for, perhaps in in keeping their civil air fleet uh, going in in terms of these sort of Western types as to um, you know let, let's go and talk to to to, to the Iranians because they're keeping keeping kind of uh, you know Tomcats going since 1979 you know yeah. in the air. Um, and, um, you know, that they are the experts in it, aren't they? Um, Absolutely. So another one here, we've got a good article on, on, on space flight from, uh, Bella Richards and, uh, she was looking at, uh, Ariane 6. So obviously, uh, highly topical with, uh, Paris coming up. Um, Ariane 6 is the next, uh, launcher after Ariane 5. 
and uh, you know it's going to take over from Ryanair 5 but there are some challenges there um, it, the first flight seems to have seems to be sort of slipping from end of 2023 to early 2024 according to the latest latest uh, sort of information or latest rumors um, mm-hmm. but also there's a wider uh, a wider sort of like strategic uh, question there about uh, how does how does Europe compete with with SpaceX that is just you know going up there launching rockets every few days seems to be launching rockets every few day uh, and they're reusing it and they're getting the cost down and if you do that so you know there are there are plans there to 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 make uh, you know kind of Europe's rockets more reusable but it's it's very interesting that um, you know you, you've got the obviously Ariane six, but there's also um, also very recently there was a uh, kind of a plea really from the uh, head of ESA, um, Joseph uh, 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 Archbishop. What well, I said that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you did a better job than I would. Um, but he he said that. Um, he, he he said that uh, Europe needs to, to really needs to up its game. Uh, we haven't got a plan after we haven't got a long term plan for um, you know kind of kind of launches after Ariane six. You know mm-hmm. um, that he he you know he's he's been quite quite frank about it uh, about the the need for uh, you know kind of Europe to up its game. So we're um, again, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Um, you know. Uh, Obviously, SpaceX is onto Starship. You know what? What's and Ariane Six is really, really competing with the 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 Falcon Nine, Falcon Heavy. You know, it's uh, the US. Well, you know, SpaceX and and, and the US. They're onto already onto the next thing. And there's also there's also competition coming in the wings from China uh, yeah. with similar reusable rockets. Uh, so there we have it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So all in all, a packed issue for uh coming up for june and um what have we got to look to look forward to upcoming events well it's we're getting to that busy season aren't we um yep. you know we're recording this just towards the end of may so i think my my first event in june is going to be midland Airfest, which i know we've spoken about on previous podcasts because uh, they sponsored uh, prizes for our quiz back in april but since we uh, since we last spoke, they've had quite the announcement for for their star on the Sunday of the show. They've got a Saab Draken. Nice. You know, you know, this is a small country, you know, country estate in in Worcestershire with a Saab Draken from the Swedish Historic Flight blasting around the grounds of the country estate. I and mean, how fantastic is that? I mean, th- there's been much debate. I, you know, I, I read various chat forums and, and things and. There's been much debate on the state of the UK air show scene and, you know, post shore and will it ever be the same again? And you look at you know, the events we've got this year. We've got Flying Legends making its return up at Church Fenton. You know, Riat has got an amazing lineup this year. Yeah. You've got you've got Midland Airfest with everything. From, I mean, the other thing they've just announced this week was um, they've got a joint display between the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight Lancaster and Typhoon. So marking the the uh, 617 squadron anniversary. Um, so yeah, what, yeah, we've got a great mix, and it's um, yeah, it's um, you know, reports of the demise of the UK air show industry I think have been <laughs> rapidly overestimated. Um, but yeah, so um, so Midland, we've got um, Flying Legends coming up. That's been announced officially now at Church Fenton. Um, so some interesting aeroplanes confirmed for there. 
Um, looking forward to seeing what else gets confirmed. And then, of course, we've got the ME262 at Riyadh. Yeah, that's going to be uh, it's going to be one to watch, uh, definitely, isn't it? I mean, that's going to be... Uh, uh, and w- w- is that both there the whole weekend or just one day? Well, we the know? ME262 is at Riyadh all three days, but it's only flying on the Saturday and... The, uh, sorry, the Saturday and the Sunday. Right, um, okay. So it will be on static display on the Friday at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure whether that will change, but... Um, so hopefully we will uh, get a chance to see it fly at some point. Um, of course, the other thing that's just been confirmed for Riyadh is there's a 737 going. And that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Until you realise it's actually an Argentinian Air Force 737. <laughs> and for the uh, for the, the real Anorak spotters out there, I'm sure that is a very, very rare type. Um, it'll be interesting to see, uh, see that uh, on British ground. I think the last time the Argentinians appeared at uh, Riyadh was surprise, surprise, 1981. Well, I mean, if you're going to ha- if you're going to have a 262 there um, uh, from a, yeah. a previous conflict, I don't I don't see how you can probably argue against a, a Boeing 737. No, I don't think at all. No. And, and the funniest comments I saw online yesterday was somebody asking where we're going to park a couple of Harriers around it <laughs> on static park, because obviously we've got Harriers attending this year from Italy, I think, isn't it? So yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, Lots, lots of things coming up, and of course Paris Air Show as well. Yeah, so so we'll the whole team will be there at the uh, Paris Air Show. We'll be covering the the uh, the air show in depth, or and trying to do our, our usual daily blog, bring you all the all the breaking news, all the the themes as as much as sort of like a uh, give you a snapshot as as much as possible. So yeah, that'll be that should be very interesting indeed. Also in June we've got the it's going to be the the last RAF C130 flight. Uh, of course, yes. So, it's been very much in the news recently. So the C-130 will be bowing out uh, after how many, how many how many years of service? Oh gosh. Well, obviously the C-130Js are newer than the first ones that came in, but was it 57 something like that? 50, yeah, Looking 57. At- yeah, 57 was the was was the first one. Yeah. So um, yeah, the last mission apparently is going to be set for 17th of June. I think there's also some kind of fly past around all the RAF stations there for people yeah. to uh, to um, you know sort of, sort of say goodbye to it. And then uh, apparently, uh, according to uh, some, one of my sources, is there's going to be an almighty booze up in a hangar. Um, yeah, I can. I can <laughs> that doesn't can, sound like the RAF at all. <laughs> I, I can. I can well imagine that happening for for all the 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 uh, you know however many people you know pilots, maintainers, crews, uh, loadies who've been involved with the uh, the C-130 over the, uh, the years. Yeah, what a classic. Um, well, I, I know think... that, um, that, Co- that that Cosford have got uh, Cosford Air Show, which I think is about June the 11th or 12th or something like that, have got a, uh, a Hercules, and they are hoping that the RAF Falcons parachute team will be able to drop from the Herc for the last time. So, of course, a lot of people will will remember the Falcons dropping out of the Hercules at air shows going back for well, generations, really, isn't it? Um, so, you know, in, in more recent years, they've been dropping out of uh, a civilian um, Dornier aircraft. But I, I just hope, you know, a week before the Hercules finally retires from the RAF, wouldn't that be a fitting send off? Yes. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be going out in style. Um, the other thing also in in june we've got going is uh we've got a uh a, a lecture happening on, on uh, in june at uh 8th of eighth uh, of june at RSHQ. book launch and lecture of winkle 
Britain's greatest ah. pilot, given by Paul Beaver. Uh, so that uh, it's a invite only. It's it's RSVP. You've got RSVP for this. Can't just turn up. I think that's going to be a sellout one. I think it's going to be standing room only, um, really. Uh, yeah. So get yourself sorted out for that. And then also coming up in July, we've just been to uh, two days of intensive air power discussion and, and capability discussion. Uh, th- this is the REF's big uh, air power conference. It's the Global Air Chiefs Air and Space Conference in July. And that is, a, again, a major conference that gets you know, 50, 60 um, heads of air forces there to talk um, all things air power, air and space power over a couple of days in, in July, just before Riyadh. Uh, and again, that is one of the things where you go in there and uh, your brain just fills up with information. So, uh, yeah, something else to, to watch. Right. I think we're almost and, done. And but, you know, well, you know, the, the other thing we've got in, in June and uh, you and I are not very good at blowing our own trumpet. So we'll do do it for somebody else. Is we've got the Aerospace Media Awards in we June, have. the night before Paris. And I know, Tim, you, you and I have both been shortlisted for an award, but one of our contributors is shortlisted for two. Yes. Um, so Charlotte Bailey, who's done quite a bit of writing for us and reported on Farnborough last year. Um, has been uh, shortlisted in the um, urban air mobility category for her article on the VX, the vertical um, VX4, and yeah. also for Young Aerospace Journalist of the Year. So that's um, yeah, the Royal Aeronautical Society. Obviously, you know, youth in aerospace is one of our big, big passions, and that extends into the journalism realm as well. So um, it, it's nice to see Charlotte getting some recognition from her peers. Definitely. And, and and yeah, I mean, good luck to everybody else out there. If you're if you're a one of the uh, one of the shortlisted uh, finalists, um, I have no idea what I'm doing on the list. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it it um, is a real who's who, isn't it? It's a, a great honour uh, yeah. to, uh, to to appear alongside some just, of those just, names. And... Just yeah, just even to be mentioned. Uh, so uh, that should be a, a fun night out uh, before the hard yeah. work sets in. Um, yeah. Right. So rounding up now, um, have you been reading, watching, playing anything? If not, I'm going to tell you what I've been reading. How on earth do you think I've had time to read or watch anything this month, Tim? <laughs> no, no, but I think you've had quite an interesting book on your desk, haven't you? Yeah, so I've been lucky enough to get sent a preview of uh, Winkle, Britain's Greatest mm-hmm. Pilot by Paul Beaver. And uh, to say it's a tour de force. It really is a tour de force. So um, Captain Eric Winkle-Brown you know he, he is absolute legend and uh there's some relev- revelations in the in the book that i can't say about uh, i'm gonna that, that's uh coming up for for, yeah. for paul really to, to 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 announce himself but uh it really gives you a, an insight into the man behind the legend and uh and he he is a complex character he is a, a complex character and in some ways i i i I met him at the, uh, you know, when I first joined the Aeronautical Society and bumped into him there. And and, and uh, he was so approachable and humble and, uh, you know, wanted to, to tell everybody, um, you know, all about aer- aeroplanes. You, know, you could ask him basically anything. I mean, even got him to review a computer game, you know, a flight simulator. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, he was he was just marvellous. Uh, and he he he'd always have time for you. And um, but they had an encyclopedic knowledge, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. His memory was incredible. Yeah, I remember he, many years ago, I was working at a GA magazine and the editor at the time had flown in it. I think it was a Miles Magister. 
and phoned Eric and, and said, you know, Eric, did you ever fly the Magister? What, you know, what were your thoughts? And he said, I did. I only flew it once and it was a Wednesday and the weather was bad. And he could recall everything about that one flight in that airplane out of what, 479 different types. Is that right? Yes. That he'd yeah, he's, yeah. He's still, he still holds the world record for, 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 for that. Um, and but there's that, there's also a side on it, a side of him where he. Um, he 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 he's got an innate knack for um, rubbing authority up the wrong way. Um, huh. So uh, you know, on the one hand, he, he's this supremely prepared test pilot who who uh, you know knows the numbers. You know, you know he'll make notes on 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 you know sort of German aircraft and you know gets the gets the risks to a minimum and, and, and things like that. On the on the other hand. Um, you know, there's bits in there where you, you, you know he'll, if he sees a bridge, um, you know he'll make a oh, beeline for it. Is that a red red flag to a bull? <laughs> is it? <laughs> and uh, you know, both both you know, both in an aircraft and you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, you know, in 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 dealing with kind of uh, you know his peers or authority or something like that, and so it's it's a fantastic book. It needs reading. Uh, it's a it's he. Yeah, and and his his how he how many things he's responsible for as well in terms of you know not just a carrier pilot but then he goes on to test German aircraft then he goes on to look at supersonic stuff uh, then he's uh, you know then he's into so you know kind of uh, carriers so you know he's responsible for, for bringing the the F4K to Royal Navy service and the big carriers you know so that the whole thing now about uh cvf and the, the the royal navy wanting you know we, we want we want big decks big decks are back that was their slogan mm-hmm. that's that's down to winkle because he, he he you know in, in his in his previous role one of his previous roles was we want we need to, we need a uh uh you know mac 2 uh radar equipped all weather fighter we're not going to put up with any cast offs from you know uh there then he he, he worked on helicopter safety so he's working on, on offshore helicopter safety and even uh, Battersea Heliport. <laughs> so uh, you know, and, and safety standards for helicopters. Uh, and, you know, and it's it. I could see him now. Um, you know, if he was uh, if he was if he was still alive and with us with us now, I can see him getting well involved with EV tolls yes. and and literally elbowing people out of the way <laughs> uh, to to get. To test them, to test fly them, and to 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 work out, you know, well, you know, are these things safe or are they not? Where where can you land them, you know? And and he he, if if there was that challenge there of EV tolls or hybrid electric aircraft, you know, Winkle yeah. would be. He, I could see him being being at the front of the queue. Uh, but wow. amazing book. Uh, yeah, Brilliant. that's that's published uh, next month, and uh, yeah, uh, Paul Beaver is going to be speaking about the RSHQ. So, right. so, the, so the event at RAS HQ, is that something that people can book online or? Yes, if you go to. You say it's RSVP. Go, yeah, if you go to the uh, the uh, our, our rolling diary on aerosociety.com, if you go to our events page, uh, it should bring you up to a, a sort of like a, a link there to RS, where to RSVP. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, I'll be right. there for sure. Excellent. Right. Oh. Well, well, we'll crack on with another issue, shall we? Yeah, on that note, so uh, we'll call it a day for now. And uh, so, Steve, where, where can people keep up to date with the RAS at the back and you? For me, well, for me in particular, I'm on Twitter at R-A-E-S Steve B. And I'm on Facebook at Stephen with a P-H Bridgewater. 
And um, we've also got our website, um, Aerospace and uh, Aerosociety.com. Brilliant. And I can be found uh, at, uh, tweeting at uh, Arias uh, Tim R. And also, uh, uh, yeah, Aero Society. Look out for the Aero Society Insights twice weekly, week, weekly blogs. And uh, and uh, yeah, catch you next time on the next No Time. Goodbye, Thanks, guys. Bye.